0: Then that's when, okay, on this day, all right, if this session is a speed focus, we have our flying tents, we're going to hit that one rep. You have one opportunity, we're going to record it, but then after, okay, we're going to put you into an environment that's going to allow you to express that as well. We never just finish. So if we're talking about pure speed, we use speed, but we always put them into a contextual situation.
1: That was Jamie Smith, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online sports technology store that curates the best of in various elements of training, such as timing systems with the freelap timing system, training tools with things such as blood flow restriction training and the K-Box, athlete monitoring devices such as velocity-based training, force plates and the VO2 master, and much more. I choose sponsors for this show that I use their products personally. And I have been loving using blood flow restriction training this past year. The Freelap Timing System has been an absolute staple for me. I've really enjoyed using Bar Speed Tracking and the K-Box. Those and other products in their store have been a really valuable part of not just my coaching journey, but also my journey as an athlete. They have as well an amazing blog on sports performance and are a top-notch company with great customer service. Be sure to check them out, and you can do that at simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Great to have you here. In sport, we see so many elements of the human experience. Within competition, we see excitement. We see a present-minded flow state, at least hopefully see that. We see variability and elements of randomness and problem-solving. And we also, if you're interested in the link to outputs and weight training and speed, we also see potentiation. We see within the excitement and the engagement of sport, this powerful stimulus that can make other training sessions and training elements better. And when we really learn to harness, understand, and leverage sport, we have a truly exciting combination at our disposal when we're creating training sessions for athletes. Our guest today is Coach Jamie Smith. Jamie is the founder and head sport preparation coach of the U of Strength. He is a passionate coach and learner. He's a coach who strives to help athletes incorporate the fullness of their abilities, of their human potential through each training session. Jamie has been a multi-time guest on this show in the past, speaking on his approach to training in a way that meets the demands of the game and settling for nothing less. Today on the show, Jamie will be going into how he stacks the stimulation, the humanness of games, play, perception, reaction, and how that work fits in with more traditional training methods. A term that Jamie uses throughout this show is stickiness. How do we get things to stick to the dynamic nature of sport itself? So, throughout the conversation, we'll be getting into variability in training as it relates to sport, driving intention, driving learning through a training program, how this fits with athletes of different ages, and much more on this combination of the truly human elements in training. This was an awesome talk with Jamie Smith. Let's get to the show. Jamie, it's great to have you back on the show, man. You know, I've been looking at some of the videos you've been posting and I know we're both into like the play and exploration world of athletic movement. And then not just that in and of itself, but combining it into just a regular training session into exercises. And I really have been uh, liking some of the movements that you've been posting, not just the, the perception, reaction, and play, but also just how you put play spins on, I don't I say mundane exercises, but just simple exercises, crawls, or various um, basic things. Can you talk a little bit about how you're adding play in, how it's getting infused into just even the typical weight room session, the warm up exercises, and how that's permeating your program?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, th- thanks, Joel, for having me back on. It's an honor, and and I'm uh, looking forward to this conversation. So, it, with gameplay, I mean, I just look at it. It's another aspect to the training process, right? It hits, it hits different, in my opinion. It hits the missing pieces to that traditional strength and conditioning model. You know, if you want to talk about the social side of things, the emotional systems, but it also ties in the physical, the psychological, and so. When it comes to gameplay, and this is with six, seven, eight year olds, and this is with college professional level. We take some of these rudimentary like motor skills and just lay I almost like to think of as is, is how can I how can I layer in a novel how can I create novelty, right? Because we still lift heavy, we still sprint fast, we still do some of these, if you want to call it traditional uh, uh some of these traditional skills but at the same time i want to promote exploration i want to encourage creativity i want to increase the variability of the training process and what's better than games you know in whether it's you know a crawling style game or whether it's different catching and throwing different types of jumps you know whatever it may be 1v1 situations it's just it's allowing me to kind of hit on things in my opinion and i could be wrong in my and i could change You know, I could, I could change my mind, but things that I feel the athlete or the individual is missing in their full development, Mm -hmm. right? Not just sport, but as a human being, what are they missing? And a lot of times in this day and age is that kids aren't going in the backyard and playing. You know, if you watch a sport practice, if you really get out of the weight room and just watch a sport practice, uh, volunteer your time and become a coach. So you can get these experiences, you can see that this idea of, play, this idea of aliveness, this idea of uh, autonomy, it's just, it's not there anymore. It's all structured. It's all, you know, negative consequences. It's all, it's got to be done the coach's way. And so that's where gameplay can kind of create athlete centered or what I like to call now too athlete driven kind of approaches, you know, to, to movement, to athletic development, to strength and conditioning. So basically gameplay is just, part of the program now it used to be all right every now and again like if kids came in if they were sluggish or if they had a bad day or if they had a tough loss all right i would dose in real quickly some type of some type of game but now it's part of the process and if you've ever worked with a younger athlete or any athlete in general you introduce gameplay to them and they eat that up they love it they crave it they want it and so it just keeps my kind of evolution of gameplay is kind of taken to where it is now. So it's just, it's part of the training program.
1: Yeah. I, I think that it is interesting. Like I look at it from the perspective, well, I, I'm gaining new perspectives as I go forward. I'm, I'm trying to rewind to maybe where I was, I would say 10, 15 years ago. And and this even could go to the level of, so I was at yeah, 24, 25. In my, in my mid-20s, you would hear the term, well... Athletes use a different kind of strength. I'm just being really reductionist here, but athletes use a different kind of strength than powerlifters. And at my, at that point, I was like, "How? I don't understand that. Like, isn't stronger better?" And and up until that point, too, as I had seen, and just from a track perspective, purely like just speed and jumping, and and from the percentages of the program I was using, which was not a massive part of the program yet, especially before age like 22. As I had gotten stronger, my jumps were better. And I was like, okay, well, stronger equals faster equals all these things. So why doesn't it? And then as time went on, it started to hit me that... And as time went on, I should say too, as I got into my mid-20s, early 30s, I played less. I stopped playing pickup sports as much, basketball, those types of things, ultimate frisbee. And it became more just about training. And the thing I always noticed, and this was in my time at Cal or or whenever is every time I played a game and I always knew this but every time I played a game just instantly got all these athletic qualities back instantly jumped higher instantly more reactive athletes after a basketball based warm up instantly more prepared to lift their jumps were up like everything got better everything gets better and as I had kind of gone away from the sports too all my elasticity had gone down and all these things and even when I was in track too this was always really powerful with the social and emotional was like, I remember javelin, this one meet, like I'll never forget this feeling. I was 26, 27 throwing javelin, I think I was 27. And in practice, I could throw like maybe like 165, about 50 meters. It's not good. Like if if this was in Finland, that would be garbage. There'd probably be like a 10-year-old throwing that far almost. But, I, you know, for me, it was okay. And for USA, that's okay. And then I would go to the meet though, and I was like, where, where there's an emotional difference. And I would be a completely different person. I felt like someone else. Like it was like I wasn't even in control of my body anymore. And here I'm warming up, throwing 195, 200. Like, and I'm like, where is this coming from? I don't even know where this is coming from. And, but that's like the spirit of competing, like how much emotion can change things. And, and that's not a new secret. Like the Russians talked about it, it was in Super Training, the Super Training book. Like that's been around. And I think just as I've had more experience of, those emotions of things and how if all you're looking for is outputs too you know if you don't even care about ta- if you're listening to this show and you're like ah I really just want to stick to outputs you know I don't even care about skills or play as much you know I, I mean that's where I first started with it and that makes a big difference and th- I now I coach you soccer now too and you know we were talking a little bit before the show and for age six like the biggest thing for those kids is as zero to do with any sort of tactics nothing you say to them to do it's purely their emotional readiness state and their emotional maturity around the game and their competitiveness as well. Like it's all, it's, it's so much of that. And that doesn't just go away either. It's not like they just turn, you know, 12 and like that part of you just de- disappears. <laughs> it's still there and, and we act like it's not. And so that's, why I just, I just love that idea of, hey, how can we take the full humanness of this experience and infuse it into You know, you could warm up with a game, but yeah, like like I was alluding to, like you could turn crawls into a game. You can turn plyos into a game. You know, you can turn things into a game, like or an exploration. And so I I was gonna, you know, if you have any follow up on that, I'd love to hear it. But then as well, I was gonna ask you, like, okay, like maybe some specific examples, like, okay, you have athletes crawling. Well, how could you make a game out of that? You have athletes doing plyometrics. How could you make a game? I'd be curious how you uh, approach those specific skills within a session.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's so like if we take, for example, crawls, we always give the athletes context. We always give the individuals context. So it's not like something where it's like a kid comes in day one and we're like, do a crawl battling game. Right. (laughs) These kids, we have we teach them, you know, initially, you know, the first couple of sessions, the first couple of weeks, just so they have general understanding. Okay, what is a crawl? Because you get an eight, nine year old. They haven't crawled for several years. You know, they haven't really fallen down, you know, because it's frowned upon and they don't do it on their own because they're trapped in their bedroom playing video games. So we give them understanding of okay, opposition or we give them basic understanding of okay, this is a bear crawl, this is a crab walk. So they understand, but once it gets to a point where it's like, all right, they understand what it is, all right, let's layer on challenges. And so and so gameplay is 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 one challenge, right? And so I mean, we have so many different, there's there's a million and one different ways, and there's no right or wrong way, but we'll have different, you know, crawling, like I just said, where it encourages roughhousing, where they're working on kind of gaining leverage and they're getting comfortable interacting in someone's opponent, in, in an opponent's bubble, which is basically an arm's length or in kind of inside their space where they're trying to pull the opponent, you know, to the floor. We do kind of like almost capture the flag idea. Where we might do bears versus crabs, where they're there <laughs> one team's in kind of a bear, you know, in a with bear crawling strategies while the other one is in, you know, crab walk strategies and they're trying to get the opposing. Maybe one athlete is wearing a scarf, or maybe there's a ball. And so there, there's some there's some tactical awareness where they're they're and, and I'm not saying a damn thing. They're kind mm-hmm. of figuring out okay, who's gonna go on the offense, who's gonna go on the defense. We have different kind of uh, ball games we do with crawling. You know, you can take your simple spike ball, which is everyone loves spike ball, and you can take a hula hoop or a ring, buy a couple stands and basically lower the net down, right? Create your own kind of spike ball net where they have to stay in a bear and they have to bounce the ball inside the ring and then they have to catch it while trying to keep one the opposite hand on the ground and then throw it down again, which for me is is really hard. So there's there's so many different ways, you know, whether it's individual based, whether it's team based, also whether it's, you know, exploration where we'll take, okay they understand, they have context. What a bear crawl is. We might say, okay you have you have five yards, right? Every time your hand, every time you make a movement, it has to be something different, whether it's different hand positions, whether it's you're trying to be small, whether you're trying to be big. Whether you're moving super slow, whether you're moving really fast, you know, whether it's a race, you know, there's so many different ways to layer on these challenges. And a big thing we do, especially with the gameplay, is we never repeat the same game twice in a row. We are always, every single session, it's a novel experience, and that scares people. And that that really it's like whoa 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 they need to do it for three weeks they need to they need to have a full you know training block of of crawl I disagree in my opinion whether it's crawling whether it's catching throwing diving dunking uh, all w- whatever type of motor strategy you want to talk about I believe in novelty I believe in exposing them to a wide range of situations so that they can start to figure out what works and what doesn't work. What tool or what solution can they put in their toolbox so that when they're five years old or 10 years old, that skill will stay with them or that tool will stay with them for the rest of their life? And that doesn't happen by doing the same thing over and over and over again with me on their back shoulder, screaming at the top of my lungs, coaching every position possible. It doesn't. It just, it doesn't work like that. It's too complex. There's too many variables. There's too many systems that are constantly changing for me to say, Hey, if you do this, this happens. It, it doesn't work that way. And so that's why with games, you say crawling, say jumping, right? We did it yesterday. And this is a really unique tactic where, say, we had middle school aged, right? Where, okay, they're going to hit a lift, right? I'm going to teach them, let's say it's a bilateral, more kind of like a, a trap bar deadlift or a goblet squat. They're going to hit their traditional movement. All right. Where we had an eccentric focus, where we're focusing kind of on the lowering, but in between their sets, we play a game. And so yesterday we had a dunking game and and I've shared some of this stuff, but where we changed the heights of our modified hoop, we changed the ball size and they could not repeat the same dunking strategy from set to set. And I just let them have fun with it. Let them kind of figure it out. Let them and some kids, it takes some time. Other kids, they're trying to put put it between <laughs> their legs, boys. They're trying to do three sixties. They're trying, and I love it. That's the stuff that I I am passionate about. That's the stuff where you'll 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 hear my voice. You'll hear me. You'll hear the encouragement. So yeah, games. It's 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 about creating these kind of novel situations because, in my opinion, when they're home, and this isn't for this isn't everyone, but for the majority, when they're home or when they're in sport that everything is structured. Everything is preplanned. Everything is predictable. And in my opinion, that's doing the kid a disservice.
1: Yeah. With the um, the novelty, I love that because it's not... I think people here associate novelty with what we'll just call training, the process of training and think... It's like you instantly could take it as far as you want. You could just think, oh, well, you're just doing something that's completely different every day just to entertain people. Because I think we we see that in what we would call fitness. Like, people on unstable surfaces are not really generating a lot of muscle tension maybe they're not you know breaking too much of a sweat because it's more about these interesting quote-unquote exercises but i think that as soon as you get into the world of actual sport it all changes because now you have novelty that is extremely intense i mean i (laughs) it's a novelty that actually pushes you that could push you i think to work a higher work capacity level i mean i know for me i and just coaching you sports too i see this like i I see kids. I see six-year-olds run up. If you counted all the sprints they do up and down the field when they play, and and you know gave them, I guess like a GPS, you know, player load assigned like a player load, and then or you just said, hey, just go sprint and let's just go run up and down the field just without a game a few times, they would work. Not that they would want to do that, or it'd be a good idea to have them do that, but it wouldn't even be close. How much harder people can work when it's in a game-like context. So it's not, the intent, right? Yeah, it's yes, all exactly. about that
0: intent. And it's like, if you have the intent, it changes everything. And that was the one big thing, you know, for me is that one, you know, if you gameplay small sided games, problem solving activities, when you put them into these kind of contextual experiences, the intent changes. And yes, so you go, you know, you take a, a from a traditional lens standpoint, OK, maybe you know, their thigh's not at a perfect angle or maybe their arm, you know, their arm action is poor, whatever it may be. But this is part of learning. This is part of development. And if you have that intent, again, over time, this isn't going to happen in two sessions. This isn't going to happen. And I have this conversation with parents a lot from a result or from an actual, you know, positive adaptation standpoint. It's it's not pre-planned. It's every kid, especially when you're looking at, uh, middle school age, uh, high school age, college age, these kids are, are constantly changing. And that's just part of the process. But the minute you give that intent, that effort goes through the roof and the engagement goes through the roof. And it's the whole session changes. Everything changes. And you're, like you said, and this is why games are so important. The pro- how productive you are, it's it's what we get done, it's mind blowing. And people um, until they see it and until they feel it and experience it, they're like, "Holy cow, you're right!" And it's—I completely agree with you, Joel. Completely.
1: Yeah, I think that. uh, I think about it this way. (laughs) I'm trying to gather a few thoughts. Is uh, you know, and I, I think I'll be having some podcasts upcoming talking about this as well. But Tommy John has said, I think on this podcast, but the idea that to to adapt, you have to stimulate your entire system to a higher level than it's ever been before. And I look at. Like, I mean, when I was in high school, it's funny because I mean, I've been I've been obsessed with training since I was like 10. Like, I've just absolutely loved it. And when I was in high school and, and then like age 21, like there was this period of time like doing. I mean, Yeah, I was lifting, but it wasn't like a lot. But I was going out playing, which is intentful, trying dunks, you know, with people watching like in between games, yeah, doing plyometrics and things like that as well. But it was all so intentional and so you know there was so much just like stimulus in that because it was so meaningful for me. Everything was meaningful, and so for me, playing a game and doing dunks in between or whatever was way more stimulating than just going out and doing sprints and some plyos. I mean, not that those are you know are, aren't at all. I mean, but just respectively. And I think the more the more I've learned to kind of reconcile that, the the better it's been for me. I mean, I still you know I think that. You could still get a ton out of a well-structured program that doesn't necessarily have, you know, true gameplay in it, or can sit alongside gameplay if you play, and then you do a more of a discrete by itself session or what, whatever you would the term you use for that. But to stimulate an athlete to their highest level, you have to turn out like Jay Sherry would say the pipes, the physical, the intellectual, emotional, you know, spiritual. The I think there's another what, word I miss letter I'm missing in there, but you have to turn all those on. And I don't think you can do that unless there's some sort of like higher stimulation on a regular basis, and maybe if you're in like a track and field you know training environment, it's like a really charged, really powerful group. I've seen this in swimming like it's just the group dynamic can push you too, but at yeah. the same time, there's no easier way to fall into that in, in just a typical training session than to make a game out of it
0: yeah absolutely, and that's the thing is it's you, the the word that struck me is it's meaningful, and so that's something we do a lot where. And this could be with our games. This could be with the weights. This could be with our speed. It's okay. You have one opportunity. You have one set. You have one rep. You have mm. one play. You have one situation. All right, let's go. And whether it was successful or not successful, it's it, again, the intent in creating meaning and not allowing. And I think this is, this is another really important concept where it's, it's not going not affording going through the motions, not allowing, really getting these athletes to understand you can't just hide in the corner. We yeah. have to really figure out what makes you tick. And kind of, again, looking at, I, I look at it from a physical, psychological, emotional, and a social standpoint, but looking how we can get all of those pieces to connect on a given day, because the beautiful thing about this is that every day, every session, every week, every month, every year, it's changing and when a kid first comes in i might be dealing with a completely different individual and it's understanding that and it's appreciating that where if you did more of this traditional okay we're going to go we're going to foam roll we're going to stretch we're going to do the agility ladder we're going to do our a marches our a skips then we're going to sprint then we're going to jump then we're going to lift i don't think you're going to you're going to get those other aspects i don't think you're going to peel back the layers and really figure out okay How can I make this meaningful? How can we increase the intent for this individual? Because every kid's different.
1: Quickly, I wanted to let you know about the chance to try out Performance Herbalism for only a few dollars shipping costs and get one of Lost Empire Herbs' flagship products, Pine Pollen, for free. Switching to an herbal emphasis in my supplementation has been a life-changing switch for me. Just as nature is by design balanced and sustainable, I believe that the more natural our diet and our supplementation is, the better. I love and use several Lost Empire Herbs products that boost not only my energy, but also my strength. These include Chilajit Resin and the Phoenix Formula. You can check those out by heading to lostempireherbscom slash justfly and grab 15% off. If you're on the fence about the power of herbalism, I have a great offer for you, which is that you can get free pine pollen. Pine pollen is an herbal powerhouse it is a hormonal and energy booster packed with nutrition it's actually part of the phoenix formula and you can get that for free along with the normal shipping fee at justflypinepollen.com all right let's get back to the show yeah yeah it's it's almost like i think games sometimes and things that and we've we've talked about this in previous podcasts but i do think yeah. games allow athletes to solve problems with a level of autonomy as well like it it allows them a little bit more of that natural fit into the flow of things and it's not going to be you know, you play basketball, I mean, you're going to have different stimuli, but you're not going to have it's not drastically, drastically different. It's all at least in a, a box, but once they're in that box, they can explore and they can move and create strategies as per them and not just, you know, everyone do the exact same thing just like this, you know?
0: Yeah. And it's powerful, man. I'm telling you, it's really powerful where you make this, you know, that partnership, you turn your, you know, your exercise, your activity, whatever you want to call it into more athlete centered, athlete driven. It It's really, especially once they're, as they mature and as they kind of progress, and I hate that word progress, but as they kind of move along their development, it's really interesting seeing how each kid kind of takes this as an opportunity to become an awesome human being. And it's, it's, it's the most powerful thing, I think, as a coach, as an educator, as a father, you know, that I can do. So yeah, I I completely agree, man. Completely agree.
1: Yeah, the, the the human being thing is. I mean, the more like age groups I've had the experience to to work with, you know. And for the longest time, it was mostly just it was just college, and then it's it's gotten to branch out into a lot more age groups now. And you see it in, in even six year old soccer. You see it like it's it's not just playing soccer. Like there's all the elements of of humanity are in there. Like even. Like, I'll watch my daughter dribble down the field and she'll go until, like, there's basically a kid standing in the way. And then she'll kind of just stop and maybe kick. She, She just stops trying because it's like, well, there's an opposition now. I guess I have to stop. And, but it's like, no, there's, there's, this carries over into real life too. Like, in, I think in terms of like social situations, you know, and it's, you, you see, a lot of those elements within just the game and you start to realize how that game is a teaching tool and going into the mental emotional it's it's almost like it's really hard to have it fully link until there's those elements of chaos in, in it and social interaction you're, you know it's like you're adding social interaction and chaos and variability to otherwise a a typical and more singular skill and yeah I, I i totally agree with that one i, I was thinking too about Like almost like within games within nature, like I had Frank Frenzich on, and to me, within just watching nature, we see kind of the greater laws, um, you could say, laws of the universe at play. And I one of the things I was thinking about as you were talking about games and variability is I've been studying uh, like Shiko's, like Boris Shiko, the powerlifting, uh, his training schemes. And it's funny because you would think like, oh man, we're just talking. Aren't you guys talking about playing? Like, what does this have to do with powerlifting? But Shiko's powerlifting was very interesting in the way they did. Uh, their their periodization, and that was that. And they had lifters that had great longevity too, like lifting really heavier weights and and doing really well into their like early and mid 30s. And their uh, training compared to the Western training, which was more like more of a linear system, like hey, we right, we're gonna go from more volume to more intensity in a very kind of linear manner. And of course, that's been picked apart. Charlie Francis had a lot of qualms with that, and that started that train of things to vertical integration. But the, yep. I mean, Shiko all along, it was variability. It was hey. These weeks like the intensity is going to be relatively similar week to week like just like life like it's not like you're out you know in a very like nature based I don't know if I was in like a more you know ancestral or tribal or whatever situation it's not like the tasks I'm doing are going to be kind of the same for the most part I would I would imagine but it's just it's just kind of random how much of them I'm going to do you know <laughs> and so that exists in the powerlifting program as well like it would be more the volume would, would strategically be variable week to week. So you know, week one, I'm just kinda of, if you had a four week cycle, maybe week one is only uh instead of twenty five percent, maybe it's only twenty percent on average volume. But the intensity's kind of the same. Maybe week two is thirty seven percent. Maybe week three is twenty seven percent. So it's like there there's this variability within the weeks that kind of fits with well, that's life. You know, that's a game. Like there's and I I'm just saying that too, because to me I'm like, I think helpful too to link this we just want to separate play so much put it in its own box it's like oh there's training and there's play but it's all connected because that law of variability that we see in games and we see in normal life it can impact training as well <laughs> and uh, you know i just i just think that that's um that's something that is you were talking about the variability within a game that kind of does it for you too in many ways you know, like you could have a training progression that maybe doesn't, Nick, like, hey, with the weightlifting, we're not doing as much variability on that. But when you play, you get it, you know, you get that.
0: And variable. honestly, that's why I'm, that's why I love having conversations like that. And that's why when I'm talking with coaches, with parents, with other athletes, that's why I'm so an advocate for gameplay because you're right. It does. You get that exposure and it's, it's, you want that process to be different, but the end result that's what you want to be, you know, similar. It's not going to always be the same, but it's about the process. And I, I, I completely agree. And you can look at, you know, Louis Simmons, rest in peace. If you look at West side, I think he was onto something extremely brilliant where he would rotate the exercises. And that's something personally, because I have a powerlifting background. I was very, very passionate into lifting as heavy as possible, you know, multiple and multiple surgeries later. Um, (laughs) You know, a light bulb finally went off when, you know, about seven years ago where I came up with a lot of these ideas where like with my own training, I still like a lift heavy, but I never repeat the same. I'll have a, a an emphasis, you know, whether it's max effort, dynamic effort, repeated effort, I'll have a, a focus, but my movements are constantly changing and my body, you know, I've had two major hip repairs on my left side. You know, I'm still able to handle, you know, talk about from a longevity mm-hmm. standpoint, I'm still able to handle some of these loads and some of, you know, some of these situations because I truly believe that I'm not just doing the same thing over and over and over again where other parts are kind of left out, where you kind of expose this novelty, you expose, it's problem solving, you know? And that's why I call my agility training problem solving situations is that everything, it's a mini problem and we need to find these different solutions. So the process is going to be a little bit different but the end result is I'm still going to try to it's still try to be the same, whether it's standing up from a squat, you know, whether it's reading a one on two situation, whether it's jumping up and landing and you have two opponents on either side. What, there's so many different possible situations. The process is going to be different, right? It's just it, the end result, you know, is you're going to want it to be somewhat similar. So it's like because we talk about variability, right? And it's the same thing with the word novelty. And the traditional coach, it's like, nope, that's wrong. You're an idiot. It's that. And I can't remember the name. What was the training system that they sold on TV for years? Like P90X or
1: something? P90X,
0: yeah. You know, know, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, I'm talking about focused variability. I'm talking about creating these novel situations with purpose, right? It's not just, okay, I throw it up on the whiteboard. Everyone does that. No, 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 no. This is, this is you know, years upon years of thinking and and changing and manipulating and preparing to make sure, okay, this is what we're going to do today. And, and being okay, <laughs> being okay with, okay, I designed something, I construct something. Okay, this ain't going to work. We got to change it, right? We got to change it on the go. And a lot of the times, that's what happens. And a lot of times, it's like, that's where I came up with this whole athlete-driven model, you know, where it's like, all right. Let the kids let them, you know, give them the tool, for example, let them come up with a game. Let's see what they come up with, because guess what? They're pretty smart. They're pretty attuned to their bodies, even though we don't want to believe so, because it's our job, right, to tell them what to do. Let's have the kids tell us what to do. And it's like a lot of these games, my, you know, I have no problem admitting this. My athletes have come up with. Mm -hmm. Right. And they've got me thinking like, oh, man, that's a great idea. And I can see how this can help your strength, power, speed, et cetera. And it's it's not because of me, you know, it's because of, okay, allowing the athletes to kind of, you know, express their creativity or have a say in the process. So, yeah. So it's like really important that, yeah, variability, you know, novelty, chaos, unpredictability, you know, a lot of times, you know, coaches get, they get scared about it.
1: Yeah yeah i one of the things i think maybe i'll turn this a little bit towards and i I also i I do love that powerlifting example with louis simmons as well like it's like chico got it through i think their lifts were pretty didn't change as much but they got the variability through volume and louis simmons got it through changing exercises and so it's but there's there was a purpose to it there was a they were mindful in how they were doing it and so maybe before we switch gears a little bit because i do want to ask you about like like athletes in season for example or maybe strength coaches who are in a collegiate setting and maybe their their teams are already playing you know quite a bit and how does it fit in but before i get to that um, i did want to ask you i think uh, maybe it's a predisposition with when we talk about play and exploring in the weight room that it's like oh it's just you're not even planning it. it's just too chaotic if that makes sense I, i'd be curious for you to share a little bit about the if you were to like say, okay, this is the intention here with this set of play, maybe as athletes even develop and grow too. I know you have different levels, just curious of some of the intentionality behind these play sets that you have.
0: Yeah. So, and, and I'll try to keep this simple, you know, cause we could talk about this all day long. If you look at it, so how kind of how, if you look at it from a bigger picture, I, I am a, a believer and I follow kind of, if you, Charlie Francis idea, that kind of consolidating stressors, high, low, I, I follow a low high, I flipped it. Where we have high stress low stressors uh, initially, and then the subsequent session is high stressors. And so on the high CNS days, that's where you know we're hitting maybe more traditional speed stuff. That's where we're hitting our problem solving where there's more uh there's more guidance, there's more okay, you know, I want to hit strength power and change the di- change of direction qualities. So we're gonna construct a space that's smaller where it's going to kind of, you know, kind of afford maybe more of these kind of strategies, or maybe we're going to create a situation where I call them perturbations, but where kids are kind of getting shoved, where they're trying to solve maybe from a defensive lens, they're trying to solve a problem. But at the same time, they're getting pushed, they're getting shoved, they're getting knocked off balance. So I call that like kind of sticky strength qualities. Hmm. So on our high CNS days, that's, that's kind of what happens. But then on the low CNS days, that's where I'm looking at, you know, the gameplay. That's where I'm looking at the social side of things, the mm. emotional side of things. And for our conversation, because it's, it's, there's a lot of variables to this and and you can make it work. You can kind of mismatch and, 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 and kind of, and that's the beauty of it. it. It's very agile. But so let's say for like an emotional focus, maybe if it has a, a, an emotional theme, we might do something more uh, individual based game. And on top of that, maybe it's more athlete centered where it's okay i'm gonna i'm gonna guide the the activity where i'm i'm gonna I'll design the rules, I'll design the workspace i'll you know I'll design the tools i'll you know I'll have the say in the process where on the flip side, you know say the next low c n s session day, it will be more social focus where yeah. okay, the game's gonna be more of a team game where now kids have to interact from a social side of things. You know kids from you know different towns, different sporting backgrounds, different economic background, whatever it may be, but it's it'll be more team based and then it will be more athlete driven so I'm trying to balance everything and with the athlete driven, that's where I might have one say in it where I might say, okay guys we we're gonna use a frisbee today, or hey, ladies, um, we only can use this half court and it's honestly that's depending on logistics in my situation, but then I let them construct the rules. I let them construct the point system. I let them determine the task. I let let them have pretty much all say in it. And so it's kind of just like we do with strength, with speed, with power, with elasticity. I'm trying to balance everything out throughout the training week. And I'm trying to expose them to social, emotional, athlete-centered, athlete-driven, individual, team. I'm trying to expose them to all these possible situations. And we might do that in a week. We might do that in a month. Obviously, the training frequency, the time of year will kind of play a big factor in this. The kids level will have a big factor in this Um, because if it's a younger, like if it's a seven, eight, nine year old, it's all gameplay. That's it. It's all exploration, differential learning. The only talking I'm doing is encouragement or raising the energy up. I might hoot and holler, but from a strategic standpoint. To kind of get an arousal, get increase, you know, the arousal state of a of an individual. But then, as we kind of get older, then we start to apply some of these different components. Where I'm just, again, I'm just trying. It's a balancing act. I'm just trying to make sure that okay, we are hitting these different pieces to make sure that we are interconnecting the physical, the psychological, emotional, social side of things, and they're all connected. Because if you tell me that the social, emotional side is bullshit. I'm sorry. If you put a kid into a situation with kids with different backgrounds and you watch the game, you watch the activity, you watch basically what happens. You can't tell me that doesn't play a role because the kid will freeze up. The kid will make bad decisions. All right. Kid will completely change before your eyes. And so it does have an immediate impact. It does influence, you know, the strength, the speed, the power qualities, and so instead of me just standing to the side and being like, oh, it will just happen. No, I'm going to play a role in this and I'm going to use these different things to help with the development, with helping more effective acceleration strategies or, or change of direction or landing or deceleration, whatever it may be. I'm using all these different things to kind of help with the training process. I don't know if that kind of answers the question, but I'm just trying to, ba- I'm trying to balance everything out.
1: Yeah, with the the basic training week too, that reminds me, with like the games on the off days, it reminds me of Boo talking about on the high days, being less diverse, you have a, a smaller selection of exercises, but then the 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 easy days, you want to be as very diverse. And in so many ways, like it doesn't get a lot more diverse than a game. And it makes sense that the more diversity even in that game, that could be even better, like the more options and the more different things that you could do. I remember one of my favorite off day activities uh, when I was on a pretty good training run in my early 20s, early to mid 20s, was uh, playing racquetball. I had two kind of higher days on Monday. I was just ramping up the intensity. I fizzled them. I think it caused me to fizzle a little bit in my 30s, but I was going <laughs> high intensity on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. And then, but I'd play racquetball on Wednesdays, and that was like the ultimate recharge. Or I'd play like, you know, ulti- I would have the track kids play ultimate frisbee or whatever, maybe soccer or ultimate football. But that was always the. The off day. And, and that's that interesting, Joel. I
0: don't want to interrupt you, right, but I ahead. don't want to forget this 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 thought. And that's something that, and this is gonna sound very this is gonna sound crazy. This might be very foreign to people, but that's where so even days after a game, and that's something where I want to give a shout out to Alex Sarama. I just had the opportunity, I was just in Italy working with college basket prep um out of Boga Monero, Italy. And I got to go in for a week and apply these ideas. And so what we did, it was awesome. We, we, we basically created a, a training week where it was an in-season model for these kids. And they basically, on Friday, we could uh, constructed an inter-squad scrimmage. And so what we did the day after the game, what you're just saying is that we brought them, what I, what I told, the, what I told the, the guys is that I want to bring you back down to a human level. Mm-hmm. You're not a basketball player. Right. And these are 16, 17, 18. It could be the NBA. It could be, mm-hmm. you know, your kids or my kids' level, but it's after that competition, which is the, the, the most stressful, you know, from a physical, psychological, emotional, so, social standpoint. I mean, your cup, if you want to go back to Charlie Francis, your cup is filled to the max. Mm-hmm. And so the day after a game, that's where we bring them back to that human level. And that's where, you know, spike ball. We, so we played spike ball. We got the kids out of their sneakers outside into sunlight playing a game of spike ball. We did play ultimate Frisbee, but instead of it being traditional rules or my rules, I allowed these kids to work together to come up with their own rules. And it was amazing to get the feedback. And again, from an objectivity standpoint, from a measurement standpoint, can you measure this? You'll get that from a traditional coach. Okay, what? well, what's the measurement? All right, how, how can I you know prove that it works? My proof is that having the dialogue with kids the day after, and the way they were smiling the way they were interacting it was it's it's a recharge and it's again it's you're connecting all these different systems to allow them to be a human again so i completely agree with you and it was really fascinating because i'm so used to being in my environment being comfortable right i'm the boss i have the say you know and so i'm very comfortable applying these ideas but going across the world to some kids that, you know, English is a second language. They have no idea who I am. And I'm a little meathead. And for them to be exposed to this and see the benefits and just see it happen and see, you know, just to see the results there, it was really powerful. So, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Those off days, too. I, well, I have another thought, but I was, it reminded me as well of the, the athletes having more autonomy, not an off to be like a low day it is, I mean, I've been a bigger believer in autonomy as the years have gone on. I remember, age twenty-eight, twenty-nine, my first year at Cal. I uh, the one of the assistant track coaches was telling me about like coaches giving out training menus and tapering, like you could the athletes could pick a workout or pick their own, make up their own workout. And I was like, mind blown. I was like, who would ever let their athletes do that a taper season? And I was like, I, I couldn't understand it at the time. And then yeah. the more I went on, the more I saw really good coaches giving menu systems to athletes. The more I the importance i saw of giving athletes that autonomy and when i was um back when i was in college for track our coach did a really i i always love this workout I, everyone did actually I, there were so many positive things people would say about it but it was called just scramble circuit so it wasn't a game but it would be like the coach would it would be like our easy day so the coach would uh, take us out for like a light jog and then we'd stop every I don't know like hundred meters, two hundred meters, and it'd be like all over the place. It wasn't just like on the track. It'd be like across up and down hills and through stadium steps and you know a lot of variability there. But we'd stop every hundred or two hundred meters and he'd be like, all right, we're gonna go do, you know, push-ups or whatever. But then he would call on an athlete and say, Hey, how many push-ups are we gonna do? So and so and they would say. And then we'd jog a hundred to somewhere else and then all right, we're gonna do, you know, lying leg twists. How many are we gonna do? And so at the athletes, it's like you were getting variability in the movement, but then also athletes got autonomy. And then, of course, some jackass would always say like, "Oh, we're gonna do like you know fifty pushups or you know set, like in a row," and like everyone, everyone be like, "Oh, you know." But but that's part of it. That's it was It's like it's not like it killed anyone's next day. That in fact, I would actually argue it made it better because you occasionally have that one off of somebody who really like blows up that exercise. But I, I think that was a good one too for people who might not be as ready to dip their toes in for. Like go playing a game, and this is one of my bridges to things that were more like that. But I use that a lot, um, doing like on deck drylands. Like the swimmers at Cal, they would do their dryland on the deck before they hopped in the pool, and I would a lot of times call on athletes and say, "Hey, you know, so and so, how many of this you know core exercise are we going to do?" And and try to get everyone involved and give them autonomy in the process. And that was never a bad thing. Um, that was always something that went over positively, even if it wasn't a game. It was just it was just really helpful.
0: Yeah, you're creating that partnership, right? You're you're creating that, like you said, that autonomy, and that might be a great way for coaches, that traditional coach, right. To build these menus, to build these options. This might be one way to then start to introduce some of the gameplay or some of these, and I don't want to say advanced, but some of these unorthodox, you know, environments, because again, you allow, it, it goes back to being meaningful, having intent. And I don't care what anyone says. If you, If you have a say in it, you're going to be passionate about it. You're going to have the, the the, it's going to be more meaningful to you because you're going to be like, oh, this was my decision. And so, yeah, dude, that's, that's, that's fantastic. And honestly, that's something that we do, you know, I know we've been talking about gameplays, but that's something we do in the weight room. And we started off early on where it's just A or B, you choose, right? And, and, and obviously I'm guiding them. I understand what the options are, but all right. If you're going to goblet squat, or if you're going to trap bar deadlift, or if you're, you know, going to hold the dumbbell here, if you're going to hold a goblet or hold one. Honestly, A or B, you choose. But then you're going to take ownership of that. And for the next, say, two or three weeks, you're going to stay with that option. And then we're going to change it. But just building those menus, again, it's just, it's building that it, that autonomy. It's making things more meaningful. And then the kid, I'm telling you, the kids will, it, it, it changes the, it goes from just, you know, commanding everything to, okay, I am building this program where these kids are gonna be able to take these concepts, these principles, you know, these theories and being able to apply them when they're not with you, right? And it's just that, that's reality. You know, I only get to see some kids maybe only three months out of the year or maybe only for 12 weeks out of the year or eight weeks out of the year. They can apply these if they go, right? If I have a college kid that comes to my, you know, my program and we do all these different things and they go to a state, you know, uh, division one college that you know back squat day, you know hang clean day, you know that. At least he knows that in his off days. All right, if I get the guys together to play a game of spike ball or to play some of these, you know, small sided games, this is going to benefit us. And I have that. I have that. And I'm not going to say the colleges, but I have a bunch of kids. They do that, and and their and their teammates are you know benefit from it. So yeah,
1: yeah. As as you were talking to, like i my mind is kind of like turning with ideas, I really want to get to be uh, working with high school track on a regular basis here soon and, you know, and, and kind of spending time in the college sector over the previous decade, a little bit beyond that. And one of the things I was even thinking about, I've had conversations on this podcast, like we spoke about Charlie Francis's tempo sprints and, and some coaches have mixed opinions on tempo. I think it's like the abuse of tempo that really, you know, puts people off with it. Like, Hey, we're going to run 16, 200s today and you're sprinters, you know, like how silly is that? But I was just thinking, okay, if like if you had a group of athletes and we're going to run you know, 200s today and we're going to run eight of them, how much more engaging would it be? And this is our low day. This is our low day. They're not necessarily too fast. but And I mean, I, there is just something about a group working together on a mission. I've seen those workouts, although mundane, be very intentful. And there is too, I think there is a room and this is maybe another part of the conversation, but I do think there's also a time for austerity where it's just like, hey, this is this really simple thing. And just do it, you know, and like, and and that's okay. Uh, but I was thinking um, a fun way to do that would be like every rep, they call it an athlete. All right. Hey, you know, usually we run these in 32 seconds. Uh, maybe he says, hey, everyone try to get 31 on this one. Exactly. Hey, we're going to skip this one. Hey, we're going to run this one with one arm. We're going to run this one backwards. You know what I'm saying? Like, And people get to pick. Uh, maybe the context, it's a lighter day. It's some, it's a recovery oriented. Maybe that's on like a deload week too. You could do something like that. It'd be, ah, my, my wheels are just turning on those, um, those deloading days. I think there's so many ways you could do that.
0: Actually, but even, even Joel, Joel, even, and, and I'm sorry to jump in, oh, no but worries. even on the, high, on the high days, if you have an athlete that, you know, understands and, and, and has, you know, has the experience level, you, right, so let's say acceleration. All right, they have the experience level, and it's like okay, they they're hitting the shapes. You know, they understand some of these concepts. They have great hip projection. You know, their ankle and foot is is the stiffness, and it's very durable. So they they they're their their acceleration strategies are well experienced. I've messed and I've and I've done this, and I've, I think I've shared this where it's like, all right, if we have a speed drill, right? And you think this, you think a speed drills, okay, you're going to go on the whistle, you're going to do it this way. I'll say, hey, we're gonna do a three-step burst, and every single rep, you're gonna do something different. You'll have kids that will take their shoes off, put shoes on opposite feet. You'll have kids mm-hmm. that will use implements. We might have an aqua doll, we might have an aqua ball, we might have a dowel. They might change direction. They might go against an opponent. Mm-hmm. They might do it with their eyes closed. They might, you know, change their, you know, their, their sensory systems. So and it's not just on low days. I think, again, if you look at this where it's if it's it's about learning and there's a time and place for everything. All right. Because there's motor learning, motor performance, motor learning. All right. Again, it's about developing. It's about making mistakes. It's about kind of pushing the envelope in regards to the different strategies that you're trying to adapt to. But then on motor performance. OK, it's about being crisp. It's about, you know, being to the point. It's about if you want to say mundane, but if you it's 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 less about learning it's more about performance there's a time and place for all of that but i think that you don't just have to do this on low days i think that we can do it and be even more productive on your high days as well and i've seen that especially with with speed with plyometrics i've been doing a lot of different stuff with foot positions and using inside edge outside edge strategies you know while doing the plyometrics i've had athletes that you know they they feel better sprinting barefoot you know, on turf where we're actually hitting a flying 10 with a 40 yard sprint up. And my guys are barefoot because they can get to their inside edge better and they can feel kind of that tactile input better. So I don't want to just limit this conversation to on recovery days, you can do this. I have done this on every day, but it's got to be appropriate for the kid in front of you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the big thing too. I was actually, that was the next question I was going to ask you was related to uh, yeah, like the, like the recovery days, the, those types of days, it just, it seems like, and I just keep thinking about what Boo had said, and, and this would be, reflect how I generally do program as well, as those days to, do tend to be more diverse, relatively speaking. But what is your take on, like like a high day, right? Like And you kind of just said it, but maybe I could phrase it this way, is how often and at what uh, level... Do you do more what I would just call meat and potato stimulation on those high days? Like, hey, we're gonna sprint fast, we're gonna lift heavy, you know, we're 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 gonna hit these big rocks and we're we have um you guys, you could say, Hey, hey athlete, like here's the challenge, here's the parameters, or like like feed the cats Tony and Holly, hey, we're running ten meter flies today, you're gonna get, you know, three or four of them and your results are gonna get posted. <laughs> you know, like boom. Like you had mentioned you like you get the one shot at this movement before. I'm just curious what your thought is more for the the meat and potatoes like high stimulation. If it just is a standalone, how and when do you use that?
0: Absolutely. So, so with the younger athlete, never because mm-hmm. they don't know how yep. to. Right. That's if they're seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven years old. You know, high CNS. They they have no idea. They have no clue. Their <laughs> their you know central nervous system has no idea what's going on. And guess what? In three, four, five years, that nervous system is going to change because they're going through puberty. Mm-hmm. So the younger they are, I don't focus on that. It's all game big, game based. Uh, it's all about play. But then once they hit puberty, right, once they're, you know, 7th, 8th grade, even some kids ninth grade, depending on the kid, that's when we'll start to, okay, okay, we we have a challenge. So say it's a simple 10-yard acceleration, all right, we might stick with that challenge because their body's changing day to day. They have enough of intra-variability going on in their body. They have enough change going on in their body that, okay, we might stick for the next three weeks, four weeks, two weeks, whatever it may be, we might stick with the same thing. But then once a kid has that level of experience and they have that tool in their toolbox, how can we make it? So it's, so we can challenge them. How can we add that layer of challenge, or How can we create a different problem for that athlete? And so, and I kind of already gave that example with the acceleration pattern, we could do the same thing with curve sprinting, you know, maybe it's asymmetrical loading. I've been really looking at, like I said, inside, outside edge strategies and how can I bias it or how can I challenge it? We might do different ways that you hold the implement as you're going around the bend. We might change how big the bend is. Uh, we might change the footwear. So it's once the kids have that appropriate experience so at the beginning, it's all gameplay. Mm-hmm. It's all exploration, differential learning. There, There's no high intensity anything. But then once the kid starts to hit puberty and the body is starting, you know, that maturation process is occurring. Okay, we're going to start to expose these. And it's once a week to, uh, you know, if you want to call a high intense kind of speed environment. But the minute they're done with that, then we put them into a small sided game situation because again, it goes back to the intent. And that's my opinion. You're working with an eighth, seventh, eighth, ninth, uh, ninth grader. You're going to see way better speed qualities emerge in a one V one, or let's say a uh, a, a 2v1 where you have a, a, a 2v1 so two defenders one offense and you have a trailing defender on your back hip you're going to see way better speed qualities because that kid is trying to evade mm-hmm. that trailing defender compared to doing you know a band resisted acceleration from uh, one cone to another cone again it doesn't mean we don't do them it's just it's not the focus but then once we then get to another level you say you know, you're in 11th grade, 12th grade college, and you have the experience, you've been training for six, seven, eight years. Okay, then that's when, okay, on this day, all right, if this session is a speed focus, we have our flying tents, we're gonna hit that one rep. You have one opportunity, we're gonna record it. But then after, okay, we're gonna put you into an environment that's gonna allow you to express that as well. So we never just, we never just finish. So if we're talking about pure speed, We use speed, but we always put them into a contextual situation. Always. Because uh, in my situation, I work with team sport athletes. Very rarely do I only work with a track and field. It's always basketball, hockey, Mm -hmm. soccer, lacrosse. I'm always putting them into a small-sided game or a problem-solving situation that allows them to express or allows them to search and discover, you know, whatever we just were doing. We never just finish with that.
1: Yeah. That, that makes sense. I, as you were talking there, it was kind of clearing up, I think, what was going on, the the little bit of fog in my head. And I think that's because I was looking at it more from, hey, mature athletes, track and field perspective, <laughs> or swimming, yeah. where it's like, yeah. hey, you do need these. Honestly, they are more simple and just a few key points, things to hit on being, you could say those flying tens, maybe we're going to do a descending ladder of a 250, a 200, 150, you know, and just a good quality, like those kind of things. Like, but the thing is, is by the time the athlete gets to that, maybe they're 18, 19, 20, and they're, that's their sport. Well, yeah, that in itself has a lot of meaning. <laughs> like, that is really meaningful. If you have an athlete who's younger doing that it, and it's and track isn't their sport, it's not going to be as meaningful to them. And yeah. so I, that's like a direct corollary there too. But at the same time, I could use, if I'm running those sprints with a mature like track athlete, I could use a game or a small game to warm up. I could still make the warm up, have some game light elements like, hey, what... We're gonna really hit it hard today. We're like, you know, we're gonna light up the nervous system. Let's let's do some things in the warm up that really light up your nervous system. And I think that's definitely fair play, you know. But to me, it's like having that, like, hey, here's the parameters. You're gonna hit this today because it's also like what you're gonna do in competition. But if you're a team sport athlete, well, that flying ten competition is not what you're gonna do in competition. That singular, you know, three flying tens is not your sport. It's it's gonna have way more open loops to it and. So I, they, that makes sense. I think, yeah, depending on that maturity and, you know, is it an individual sport? Is it a team sport? And yeah. I think that's an important thing to consider because, you know, or like you said, you came from powerlifting. If my mentality is individual sport, I do think that's a lot different than, it's just a lot different than team sport. We should be able to switch that mentality depending on who's in front of us.
0: 100%. Exactly. It's, it's who... Who is the individual in front of you, right? And what, is the, what are the pieces to their – I like to think of it as a puzzle. What are the missing pieces? Again, it goes back to kind of this balance, this, this, this balancing act where I want to make sure we're dosing in these different things so they experience it. So if I do have a track and field, okay, yes, maybe my problem-solving situation you know, isn't going to be – it's not going to be the focus, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to do it. I might just put it at a different part of my program. I might do that, you know, at the end of the pre-training. I might do that on the low day or one or something. Again, they're kids. If we're talking about high school age athlete and they're just track and field, I find it in my area very rare for an athlete if they do track and field. Usually, it's a donor sport. Usually, Mm -hmm. they do track and field to supplement football or to supplement whatever whatever the other sport is. Very rarely have I found uh, a pure track and field. But if that's the situation then shit, they better get some of these because they're missing it. They're missing some of these sensory components. They're missing some of these perceptual cognitive skills that are going to be at a very low level. So putting them into some of these 1v1s that allows them, okay, you can hit some accelerations or you can hit some top speed solutions. All right, plus you're going to do it against an opponent. All right, in my opinion, that's just another layer of challenge. That's ultimately in the, in the, in the bigger scheme of things, that's going to only allow them to, you know, to sprint more effectively, yeah, or to allow them to use their feet more effectively, or to allow them you know to position their head more effectively, in my opinion
1: yeah i in in working i I did spend a a season a couple of years ago when I moved to Ohio with a, a high school track team, just helping out with jumps and and hurdles like once a week, and it was watching the warm up for that team was actually painful, it was excruciating to be honest, because it was just it was just the most simple canned drills they even did like on the ground like pilates like core drills before practice and and these were athletes too i was talking to the coach i was like you know are there any other team sport out, like basketball football and he was like basically no like there's was, it was all track only almost and i was like these kids almost even more than basketball need i mean i i mean if i was you know in charge of the whole workout everyone would be getting some sort of like dynamic reaction based thing in the warm-up but these kids who don't do anything else they need Sport almost more than anybody because they have no like their motor library is so like low, and I was just thinking I kind of in my head, what if they were just doing like you know you get a buddy and for two hundred meters you're just doing like a mirroring sprint or they're sprinting but occasionally make a cut you got to follow them you know just stuff like that where you're yeah, just in, you're you're yeah maybe you're gonna do like a more typical workout but warm up with that you know like warm up with something that drives that engine uh, because I
0: think people forget that there's two part when you look at movement. There's two parts to the equation. You got the output, but you also got the input. And that doesn't matter. I don't care if you're track and field. I don't care if it's if it's you know a U6 soccer, you know, practice. You have that input side of things. And in my opinion, I think the input needs to be thought of and programmed and managed just as much as the output. And that input plays a big role in some of these you know, non-contact contact, you know, injuries and being able to expose them to these different perceptual types of information is going to help. Again, talk about variability. You're going to create, a, this is going to be novel to them. So it's going to help them, you know, deal with, if you are in a sport where, all right, a practice or uh, an environment that you do do the same thing over and over again, this is going to build in some adaptability. This is going to build in some resiliency. So uh, it's extremely important for those that aren't getting that, you know, if they're not in a team-based sport or they're not into some of these more unpredictable, chaotic situations.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, I I almost view it as it's like a breath of life into whatever you're doing. And I I just think it's, you know, it's so important. One of the last things, you know, I wanted to kind of close this out because I think there'll be coaches listening where, and I alluded to it before, and, and a lot of this is myself included, an athlete. Maybe it's in season. Maybe they have just a ton on their plate from an external perspective, the sports they're in, the practice demands, all that stuff. Let's just even say, like, in season, right? Like, how much X, what is the the gym? Like, let's just say the weight, or maybe not even the movement piece or the package or speed piece or package, just the gym itself and, and the warm up for the gym work. What is that looking like for you when an athlete has a ton on their plate outside of the weight room? Uh, and I may, I'm sure it's different by level too, but. Let's just say say like high school, like, you know, that kind of age group grouping.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so obviously depending on, so there's a bunch of different things where, okay, are we going to be, is it going to be more, so as the kid, so if it's in season and, and this is how I approach it. If you say high school, all right, if you have a game, if you have one game a week, or if you have two games a week, that's going to kind of dictate kind of the training frequency. So like how many sessions am I going to have with, you know, with the individual is going to play a huge role in it. When I first see them, you know, that initial interaction is one of my big assessment pieces where I know this kids be and, and this takes time, right? But if we say this is a high school athlete that has been in my program, you know, for several years, I know this person, I understand him at a human level, we've built a good relationship. I have it's a very agile where it could I could have planned, okay, we got to make sure I want to hit a high day. We haven't hit a high day, maybe say in two weeks. I want to make sure we're getting some of these speed elastic, you know, some of these pieces that we haven't been able to hit the previous weeks. But if a kid comes in, I never force anything. Nothing is really. It's I don't want to say nothing's pre-planned because we do have a a uh we do have a theme. We do have a, a little bit of structure, but that can be completely changed if a kid comes in and I see everything is 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 he's he's in a deep hole mm-hmm. then okay it's automatically we're going low automatically we're we're recalib. i call it recalibration we're bringing you back to a human level where we're playing games where we're exposing the feet to different sensations we're challenging the brain with different coordination based movements so it's really dependent on you know that initial interaction and that's that's the thing that you know i'm the boss right i run my own gym i run my own program So that's just something that I have done kind of instinctively. And it's just like, it's just how we do, how I do things. But so in season, the big thing is that these kids, there's so much stress put on them. All right. I don't care if it's a game. I don't care if it's a practice. I don't care if it's, if it's academic, if it's social, there is so much stress put on these kids that when they come in, all I care about is that when they leave, they feel better. Mm -hmm. and that is it and so depending on and sometimes that might be a speed that might be okay we're gonna hit so if it is a speed focus we're gonna be dynamic effort in the weight room we might hit some extensive or intensive plyometrics, very low dose we might hit a a speed drill we're definitely gonna hit a problem solving situation or a small sided game that affords some of these speed i never very rarely because all my athletes are team team based uh kids very rarely in season where I do, I will do a closed speed session. There might be a certain situation. A lot of times though, I want to have that perception action coupling because that's what they need to do, uh, you know, on the quarter field. And so I've gotten pretty good at designing because I have hundreds and hundreds of these things. Um, And I've been doing this for seven years now of constructing different situations that, and it honestly might be two reps where it allows them to hit top speed. It allows them to hit, some curved actions it allows them to hit say a lateral acceleration. we will do that, but if it's a day that's like dude I am I'm exhausted, I stayed up, you know, I crammed for a test, you know my my dog died, you know my girlfriend is dating my best friend then it's like all right we're it's definitely game based. it's definitely iso- uh, you know long duration isometrics it's definitely we're definitely exposing the foot to a ton of sensory you know different tactile information. And that's about it. But the big thing in season is that I want these guys feeling better because nine out of 10 times when they leave practice. And again, I don't want to end this conversation where I'm talking negatively about some of these high school coaches because a lot of them, a lot of these guys, especially in new England, they're, they're donating their time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they only know what they, you know, what they're in their box. Right. And so there's no str- there's no planning, there's no load management. There's no appreciation for emotional and social aspects to to sport. So when a kid comes in and he's not smiling, he's not acting himself, his behavior's changing. If we do say at the beginning of sessions, I do like to do one type of jump just to look at their central nervous system. If and if I look at their jump and it's really, really low compared to, you know, their baseline, then I know I am not forcing any type of high CNS stressor on them. It's gonna be a low CNS day. But at the same time, Joel. If we start this right and so we we say we go outside, we walk on rocks, we hit a couple different uh, isometrics. We do a coordination based activity. We start with a game. But then if I start to see things changing and I start to see the behaviors changing in the kids, everything has changed about him. I will then give them the option. Hey, buddy, we have not hit a speed situation in two to three weeks. It, it would be really beneficial if we can get into this. And he says, Yeah, let's do it. I am not afraid to then saying, okay, guys, let's get on the turf field and let's put you in. We're gonna do two V twos today. Let's go. So it's very agile. It's very dynamic. Because in my opinion, that's the human that's that's the human being.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's one of the things too, is that so often if an athlete's on a low day, I mean I've seen this done brilliantly where athletes that come in, they don't jump well and they get more of a not not bodybuilding but like a low intensity diverse weightlifting or body weight, or even body weight training day where it's you know meant to restore but at the same time which I think is is awesome but at the same time some of those athletes who come in low you know if there's like let's say there's like three kind of training tiers and you're, there's like low you get this like low intensity body weight circuit thing medium you get more of maybe a kind of a general maybe a 70ish percent weightlifting type workout 70 to 80% and there's a high day you're feeling good you can hit a little bit above 80% or something but yeah. when you factor in the human element like the social emotional games sometimes you find there's things that were was holding an athlete back that was unlocked just by playing a game you know just by just by incorporating those other things that help them to jump levels in kind of the middle of a workout. I used to think that was like impossible back in my twenties. I was like, all right, you came in with and this a lot rediness. of coaches yeah. will man. Yeah. A lot of
0: coaches will hear this and be like, it's bullshit. It's not, I compl- I, yeah. I see it and we do it. And it's, it's uh, constantly we are we are, we will change, especially in season, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's okay. I might see a kid for a week. I might then not see him the next week because he is just crammed. We never, and from a business model standpoint, I'm a shitty business owner. Because a lot of times where I tell kids, I'd rather you playing other sports. I'd rather you playing outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if your schedule is jam-packed, don't come in. I am a shitty business owner. But when it comes to an educator and a coach, I like to think I am one of the best because that every single day, it's, it's, it's a new problem. And so kind of taking into appreciation some of these different components, you're right. You, you introduce this game element, and you you know kind of recharge the emotional, the social. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, we haven't hit, let's say, that traditional max effort stimulus or adaptation. All right, guys, we're going to hit a bilateral today because uh, a two leg kind of a two leg movement is going to afford you higher outputs. All right, you guys can choose. We're going to either hit a deadlift, a hand supported squat. You choose it, and we're going to stay in this rep range, and you can choose the load or vice versa. This is the percentage today. You guys choose the repetitions. And so exactly. But in it but if I never did that game or if I never put them into, you know, some of these unorthodox situations, I would always be okay, we're always doing low. We're always doing high <laughs> and we'll get stuck in the same pattern. And again, if you look at it from a full year, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, in my opinion, you're not pushing that learning learning envelope. You're not you're not pushing that development.
1: Yeah. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I I have um I got like one of those little grip testers. It's amazing how far they've come to hunt in price the last five years. But I got a little grip yeah. tester, and you know I was using it a little bit to like assess readiness for training days. And then I kind of was getting to the point too where it's like I'm just training here by myself. And you don't want it to become a self fulfilling prophecy, you know? Because sometimes you see that number and it's like okay, that's all I got on the day. And and what I actually became a little more interested. I do think it's a nice guidepost, but. At the same time, yeah, you don't want it to become that self fulfilling prophecy. And that's why I think sometimes it's the best if only the coach can see that and the athlete cannot. But needless to say, I actually became more interested in it a little bit as just a almost to see how it changed as I went throughout like the social, emotional, and stress flow of my week. Like for example, I remember there was a Sunday I went um played disc golf on a really fun course with, with some friends. And like literally right after that, like my grip was up, like, I don't know, like ten, like probably like 7%, which is a huge jump just because I just went and did something that was fun and meaningful and in nature, you know, like it's, in uh,
0: fact, it yeah, is dude, amazing. We did, it is because, and I recently did a post on this where I messed up, this whole summer. I have five athletes that we did that, where we collected some sort of objective data, whether it was a jumper or a specific, uh, a lateral bound, uh, I used the G flight system and I had five athletes and these were athletes again, they've been, they've they had the experience but it was really interesting where we would measure the jumper bound we would then play a game and then we would retest it and i want to say it was like 92 96% of the time so almost all the time that their their performance metrics improved and yes there's so many different factors i just thought it was really interesting to use the game play you know style to help kind of with uh, it, you know, performance, uh, performance outputs or, or, or metrics, but also I took the same idea and I did it with younger athletes. Just, I was curious where I had them do a really standard non-counter movement squat jump, had them do the jump. They didn't see the recordings. I, I recorded everything, had them do a similar game, very simple, say it was spike ball or wall ball, very simple game. And then when they went back to do it again, theirs actually went down. And it was really interesting to me, where it's you know this idea of variability and this idea of, of focusing purely on outputs depending on the skill level and the maturation process. I just thought it was really fascinating to see, okay, with the experienced athlete using gameplay to potentiate you know some of these more traditional means, but then with the younger athlete, it's like no matter what you do, it's always gonna be constantly changing uh so I thought it was really interesting you know, on that side of things.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It fits too. You know, Jake Turo was talking about when he was hanging out with Jeremiah Flood and they were playing like this game they call Gator Ball and they'd run like 10 flies in between like bouts of playing. And I've seen this too, playing like just indoor soccer and go run like a 20 a meter sprint. Like it, uh, the game makes it better. <laughs> it's like anyone who's been in that situation. I mean, all you got to do is play pickup basketball, do some dunks after, you know I mean? It's like that. It's that's the juice. <laughs> that's, and just try it, and yeah. if you've
0: never done this before, instead of instead of just shutting this podcast off or you know MFing me, just try it and just go experience it, and then then let's see. You know, and if you disagree, you disagree, that's fine. But if once you go do it and you see it, it's it, yeah, it's a very powerful training tool and teaching tool.
1: Yeah, for sure. So yeah, hey, I, I the the games. It's it's just it is the truest art too because it's not. I mean, yes, you you start with with hey, here's some setups, here's some games, but as soon as you jump in the game, you just your intuition starts, you know, coming online. The athlete's intuition starts coming online. Hey, this would be a fun thing to try. Let's do this. And how long are we going to do this? Then let's go run this. You know, more discreet, like ten meters. It's just that's where so much of the the our humanity just all comes together. It's like the center point. And yeah, yeah it's it's something and you that, can
0: make connections, Joel. That's the thing. And I I, I have this word. And I don't know if I've taken it from anyone, um, and if I have, I apologize, and I give that person credit. But it's it's uh, stickiness mm. is that that's where these gameplay, these small sided games, and then blending it with the traditional, you know, uh, uh, environments, and then blending it with the traditional weight room, and then some of these kind of unorthodox weight room methods. That's where you can you can you can create context and you can connect them. You know whether it's you know teaching a kid you know how to change their center of mass. Whether it's teaching them you know how to use their foot more effectively, that's where you can kind of if you flow in and out of some of these environments, that's where you can okay i'm gonna I'm gonna explain something to you explicitly, but then I'm gonna let you feel it implicitly and it's just kind of this balance act, but allowing them allowing them to kind of feel and make these connections. I think that's where we get you know the strength, the speed, the power we create this these sticky qualities that stays with the kids. For the rest of their lives. And I've seen that immediate, I've seen that happen one session. We put them in these different situations. They come back saying, Oh my gosh, you know, I felt that in the game, or I felt that in practice. I completely now understand. And it stays with them for the rest of their life because we're building context. And again, we're not isolating those four pillars: the physical, psychological, emotional, social. We're not isolating those things. We're keeping them all connected. And that's where, you know, again. They, it, it stays with them. It, it it creates these kind of sticky learning opportunities.
1: Oh, I love that. That's a, that's a good thought. Um, one for just me. That's going to stick. Literally, not pun, not intended. But with me <laughs> after we we hang up the phone here. But I think it's a wonderful way to close too, Jamie. I just yeah the whole the whole play thing. That was a great way to close it out. And I I just think yeah the more people get their hands dirty with this stuff and get in that play, uh, infusing that, mixing that in with more traditional training. I think it's just, it's the results are amazing and it's just, it's a lot of fun too. So thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for the opportunity, Joel. I appreciate it too. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you being here and we'll see you next week.